Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Missing in Canada, my ongoing series that explores the stories and circumstances of Canadian missing persons cases. In this episode, our story is going to take us to the quiet town of Wolfville, Nova Scotia. In September of 1992, then 20-year-old Kate Bretner Kenley Matheson arrived in Wolfville to begin classes at Acadia University. But Kenley's time in Wolfville is going to be short. Only two weeks into the school year, he was last seen by a friend walking down Main Street in Wolfville. There hasn't been any proof of life, nor a credible sighting of him since. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, I'm going to be joined by Canadian crime content creator Madeleine Klein to discuss the disappearance of Kenley Matheson. It was the fall of 1992, two weeks into the start of the school year at Acadia University in Wolfville. 20-year-old Alan Matheson, known as Kenley, was a freshman studying biology. Then, on September 21st, he disappeared. His sister Kay, the first to notice something was wrong, left him a note in his dorm room. For Kenley's mother, it's been a painful two decades. She has searched tirelessly for answers, at one point hiring her own private investigator. Just today, Kenley's case was added to the province's Major Unsolved Crimes Reward Program. While the money is meant for information that leads to an arrest or conviction, that's not what his mother is looking for. My goal is, is to find his body where his body is. And I'll be happy with that. Like, I am not going any further, you know, if there's somebody to be charged or it's going to go to court. If somebody would just come forward with just the information of, you know, where his body might be. At that point, she says, she can truly accept what happened to her son. Madeleine Klein, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you? Uh, great. Uh, and your night's about to get even better because I got a compliment for you. Are you ready for this? It, it's not. I'm ready. It's not for I'm me. So, ready. so hold off. My mother listens to my podcast a lot, and especially if I do anything related to Toronto, because she lived there for a long time. And I just before we started here, got off the phone with my mother, uh, and she let me know two things. One, she educated me on a mistake I made during the TTC episode we did together. Uh, I think I said Toronto's one of the biggest cities in Canada, and I expressed some doubt in that statement. She let me know, she corrected me and let me know that it in fact is, and she gave me a whole bunch of numbers comparing Toronto with other cities in Canada. But then she said, and that Madeleine Klein who was on your show, she was fantastic. I could listen to her all day. So oh, that's so nice. You got a fan. I was like, you should listen to her on TikTok, mom. And my mom was like, what's TikTok? And I was like, never mind. She'll be back on my show. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. So you have a, you have a fan. Um, but then I told you that I have a friend who is like a hardcore TTC fan. Yes. And uh, I was like, I didn't realize you could be a fan of the TTC, yeah, but I, you I can. A, I have a friend who's a massive fan of the TTC. He listened to the episode as well. And uh, I think he was felt disrespected that both of us didn't know as much about the TTC as any TTC loving rider should. So um, he hates us both now. We're not friends anymore. He probably collapsed when I asked what a streetcar was. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he he contacted Apple Podcasts. He's having the episode removed, actually. He's like, I'd like to report these two. But 
that's that's the feedback from the prior episode, but we got a lot to get into tonight, so we can't uh, yes. reminisce about uh, mistakes uh, made and lives past. We're here to talk about the disappearance of Kenley Matheson, uh, a fellow Nova Scotian with myself, uh, also fellow Cape Bretoner. Kenley is, uh, was, is from Cape Breton Island where I'm from, and there's not a lot of um, stories about Cape Breton that find their way to the documentaries and podcasts of the world, but um, due to uh, tragic circumstances, uh, Kenley Matheson's name is one that gets spoken about a lot when people um, are discussing unsolved Can uh, Nova Scotian or Canadian crime missing persons cases. His case is also added to Nova Scotia's list of uh, major rewards for unsolved crimes, which is a government initiative to offer large rewards for tips related to unsolved crimes. So getting mm -hmm. your unsolved case or your missing persons case on that list is kind of like being, you know, having like a criminal on the 10 most wanted list of the United States or something. It's, you know, that's really cool. I like mm -hmm. that Nova Scotia does that. Yeah, it's uh, it's large rewards. I've heard some criticism of the way the program works, but what the program certainly um, does is when, when a case gets added to that, the media reports on it more and it it just adds uh, a lot more exposure than than a case, you know, would, would have would have had it not been on that. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sure most provinces have something similar. I can, I would imagine, but for whatever reason in Nova Scotia, it's, it's something that's often talked about and I see media referencing it a lot. Okay. Um, Maybe I just, yeah, I just haven't looked into it. Um, so Kenley Matheson, you're on the other side of the country from him. Did you know the story before uh, my listeners contacted us uh, recommending we, we cover it? I am sure um, my best friend who lives in, Fredericton. I'm sure he suggested the name months ago. Actually, I'm wearing my East Coast Lifestyle bunny hug. Oh. And my my bestie got it for me. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Shout out. Thank you, bestie. <laughs> yeah. I think the first, I, I'm i sure he suggested the name to me, but then the next time I heard it was when you suggested it. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's one of those stories where I've I've heard of I've heard the story. I've had listeners recommend it for literally for years, um, and I've been really close to doing an episode on Kenley multiple times. And just for whatever reason, it had never happened. And I always put off kind of digging into his story till a point that I was actually going to do the episode. So I didn't know his story in any detail beyond he was a young man who disappeared just days or weeks after enrolling and moving enrolling in and moving to Acadia University in Wolfville uh, but that was literally all I knew about it for for years despite Do you remember it, it happening no this would have been no. I would have only been like 92 I only would have been 11 years old oh okay. so yeah just a kid but it's like where I learned about this story, I think, is just we've talked about this lots of times, but on like the 10th anniversary of us and a disappearance or something, there'll be a couple of articles that come out. So that's where I learned about it is just seeing his photo, the same photo or two getting shared around on like anniversaries and again, yeah. having listeners reach out. Um, about it and and i think what's what's brought this up now and in encouraging us to do this episode i've heard from a lot of people reaching out requesting we cover this uh his story on, on the show as a result of a new documentary series that was recently released on we both watched it was it amazon we watched it amazon prime yeah yeah on one of those services um but that has kind of brought 
uh, a documentary that explores his story has kind of brought his uh, the depth of his case uh, more public uh, than what people had had known prior but i'm sure as we go we'll get into the documentary a little bit but i think we'll focus more so on just you know the facts of his case in the predominant theories that are getting discussed but we can maybe in the end we'll give some thoughts on the documentary because i know a lot of my listeners had watched it Perfect. Uh, let's let's start with with some basics uh do you want to g- give a rundown of who he was and where he where he was and how this kind of occurs so Kenley Matheson was originally born in Cape Breton in 1972. Um, and then in 1992, when he was 20, he went off to Wolf- Wolfville, Nova Scotia to attend Acadia University. Yeah, I think. It's, it's a university yeah. and it's in its tiny little town. And really the only reason to go there is, is either for like a good cup of coffee and a day trip or because you're attending Acadia University. Uh, oh, okay. It's on the other side of the, pro- almost on the other side of the province of Nova Scotia from Cape Breton. So this is certainly leaving home. But although Kenley, he was only 20 years old at this point, it wasn't a big move for him because he had already, before going to university, he had like lived a life. He traveled worked out west for you know on his own for a year planting trees like he for a 20 year old from small town nova scotia he got around i loved hearing about where he went and what he did he sounded like the coolest guy ever Uh, he sounded like just a free spirit and mm -hmm. i just love people like that so certainly sounded like an adventurous guy he he went out west to bc to plant trees for a while in which sort of when you look at what life is like for someone who's doing that, it's almost like moving on to like a hippie commune or something. It's just a bunch of people living in the middle of the nowhere, you know, doing their thing. Yeah. Uh, um, from there, he met some friends and, and connections that led him to going to South America on a motorcycle as a young man. I I think he, he went from Cape Breton to Banff on the motorcycle. Oh, yes. And then he, he walked to the or attempted to walk to the rainforest or just to save it. Mm-hmm. I'm not I, sure I, what that was about. Yeah, but I he forgot walked about for that. the rainforest. Yeah, yeah. There, there was like someone. Yeah, so he went. He, he was in Banff for a while. Then there was um, someone who was and walking. Can, like, can we just appreciate that Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, to Banff, Alberta, is like over five thousand kilometers. That's that's, yeah, that's a hike. A, that's a mission. That but that is a would mission. be so much fun, like on, on a, a Harley. Yeah. 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 That would be the best. Yeah, that's right. He went across the country on the motorcycle. And then yes. it was, and at one point there was, and I, we're kind of mixing up like his, you know, the two or three years before his disappearance, because he did a lot in that period of time. But he, uh, there was someone in the news that was like walking uh, to South America yeah. as some kind of like activism for like save the rainforest sort of save thing. the rainforest yeah and kenley read about him and was like hey, i'm gonna go join up i want to do guy. that yeah and seems like he just hooked up with this guy and at least went for a part of the journey but um at one point he ends up in and i want to kind of hit on this a little bit because we'll come back to it but at one point he ends up going to places i had never even heard of in south america with a friend to it didn't seem like they really went there for much of any reason. I, I believe they just went there just to get away for a while. The, the and tri- it sounds like they had a great time. They like took a ferry mm-hmm. to like Belize or, or Mexico somewhere, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. That would have been so cool. Yeah, especially again, uh, uh, as a like 19, 20 year old from small right? town, Nova Scotia. Uh, these adventures are, 
or something else and it definitely take some guts and definitely take the uh, ability to just be like I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and you know I'm out of here um, yeah but I like think he he did that motorcycle trip like at 18 yeah that's he pretty was wild super young yeah yeah um and I think this stuff is important to hit on because when you get into the the idea that he goes to university and then you know two weeks later he's missing it's easy to think of him as like you know this is his first time away from home and it was too much but no in Kenley's life going to Wolfville for university would have been a walk in the park you know although he's moving away totally. from home or whatever but his his time in Wolfville which again is a small little town in Nova Scotia certainly not a place you think of as dangerous or crime riddled i think of it as uh retirees and uh entrepreneurs starting to trying to start i don't know roadside apple sales business <laughs> it's kind of like the only time i go to acadia is uh, to wolfville is once a year i go to like a you pick farm where you go on the farm and you can pick all these apples well that sounds awesome yeah i'll get like a truckload of apples and then on the way home i'll stop in wolfville and you know get a coffee and and how far from Halifax are we talking is Wolfville? I don't know, an hour and a half maybe? Oh, that's not too far. Okay. No, no, certainly not. And it's like to give um, a sense of what it's like, if you've read Stephen King, every Stephen King story is set in a town just like Wolfville. It's that kind of place. Just awesome. You know, small, okay. quaint little place. Um, his, Where Kenley's, nothing bad ever happens. No, but in this case, in 1992, uh, something happened. It, Kenley's time in Wolfville, there's there's not a lot to say about it because he only... It's so short. It is so short. You can wrap it up by saying he gets there, meets a few people, goes to a couple parties, and walks off is and how, that's how it seems. Yeah. But yeah. let's uh, let's give the longer version of, of that. So he arrives in Wolfville with his sister, um, who... Her name is Kareen, but it seems like everyone back then at least called her Kay. So I'm just going to... Oh, okay. The story takes place in 92, so I'm going to call her Kay. Um, he he goes to university with his sister, so he's not, he's not going alone. Although he's described by family, his sister and mother, as being a bit apprehensive on going, not necessarily excited about it. Yeah. Uh, not that into the Frosh Week activities and seemed to, for the most part, keep to himself although he meets a few friends he's living in a tower which is like a student housing like on campus it's a large apartment building but it's all you know students like living dorms room. yeah dorm room yeah so he meets a few people there who describe him as a laid-back guy keeps to himself uh seems wise um, beyond his years up late at night all hours of the night just kind of doing his own thing but seems comfortable in uh, just being on his own i guess is the way well it, it sounds are... like it sounds like yeah he's quiet and shy and reserved but he has no trouble making a friend which is awesome yeah exactly and yeah. some of in in the friends that he make he makes along the way at, uh, at Acadia, they certainly come into his story because one of his last, the, the last sighting of him seems to be like kind of the, the closest, um, the closest friend he makes uh, during his time there. The, the, really the things other than the last moments prior to his disappearance or where he was last seen, there's kind of two events to talk about that will come up. One is a supper 
with friends at a place called Corkum's Island, uh, which is a small island in the area that uh, I would call it like cottage country. People go there with a summer home. It sounds like somewhere I want to live. Yeah. um, Definitely. Why don't you tell us a bit about what happens on Corkum's Island, why he was there, what he was doing? So like the first weekend at Acadia, he meets these two people and they go to Corkum's Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the people he meets, her name is Kristen and her dad lives there. So they went to stay at her dad's house and it looked like a wicked property. They, it was like waterfront. They had jet skis. They had a great weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's photos of him there where he looks, looks happy, loving his life. And this is only yeah. this trip to Corkum's Island is only six days after he even arrived. So it's like he gets to school, meets a couple people. And one of them's like, we'd go to my dad's place for the weekend. And they were like, okay. Yeah. So who wouldn't? He hops on. So they meet a couple people uh throughout this weekend but it said that there was always kind of people in and around the house it mm-hmm. was just it was a sociable sociable place mm-hmm. and it's alleged that investigators have placed uh he's not a murderer how would i put this dangerous offender uh bad bad person who is connected to a lot of murders but i don't believe convicted of any right that he's uh, suspected of anyway investigators placed Andrew Paul Johnson in the area and specifically having dinner at the the Tomlinson home. That's her last name, that Kristen. Yeah. No one can confirm this though. Yeah. And I put a a big star next to this theory or whatever, but for people who've listened to my show, I've done an episode about the disappearance of Kimberly McAndrew, who was a young woman who went missing when she got off of work at Canadian Tire in Halifax. She basically got off early, walked out the doors and was never seen again. Andrew Paul Johnson was has always from the very beginning been like the primary suspect in that case, as well as several other missing and unsolved cases uh, from Nova Scotia around that time, to the point that I think if in the mid or in the early 90s, if you go missing in Nova Scotia or you are found dead, it's like Andrew Paul Johnson is the leading theory it seems um if you read about unsolved cases in nova scotia his name comes up over and over again so when i hear that he's connected to kenley's story and in some way or another i'm not really surprised it would it would make sense that people bring his name up as a possible theory but it seems in kenley's case they haven't been able to confirm that andrew paul johnson was definitively at this island um so it's, I don't know, I, I'm not too swayed by that, by this idea that he was there well, not or, only, or that he, they knew each other in any way. No, not only did they, so they interviewed this Andrew Paul Johnson for this documentary. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can't trust a psychopath. I know that. But he denies ever meeting him. He denies ever being at this house. And even everyone else that was present at the house. Don't you think that when finally uh andrew got arrested and he was all over the news someone would have said wasn't that that guy Mm. at that house that weekend like Mm. i don't know it's just yeah i it's a little too wishy-washy for me yeah but either way that's one thing about this uh, this weekend getaway to corkham's island that comes up a lot is that andrew paul johnson may have been there maybe he wasn't and it was just a little weekend that's irrelevant to Kenley's ultimate disappearance but in his short time in Wolfville he meets some friends they have supper at one of their family's houses uh, homes and they go away for this weekend to Corkham's Island the next kind of 
big event to talk about, and this one is personally, I think, is much more important, is, of course, yeah. this is the beginning of year at Acadia. So there's Frosh Week, there's big parties, there's a lot of people meeting and hitting on each other and all these sorts of things. Um, there's a major, major party in the tower that they li- that Kenley lives in that everybody in the school seems to be involved in. And it seems like it's like, you know, this is like the event to kick off the year. Um, Kenley shows up for the party, appears by all accounts and all reports that I've found to have drank far too much and was maybe out of line with with some people and seemed to, I wouldn't say like make enemies, but he certainly didn't um, make he everyone He ruffled happy. a few feathers. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And, and I've seen interviews with people whose feathers were ruffled by Ken, by Kenley that night. I believe Kenley um, maybe said some, uh, like, I, I will just say hitting on their girlfriends and, you know, this yeah. sort of thing, which is not crazy or bizarre. Those sorts of things I'm sure happen with first year students at universities when they're drinking at the beginning of the year. Uh, so well, and especially if he's like feeling anxious, that mm-hmm. didn't help. Yeah. But what I think is important about this and why this is such a big deal is in the days after this, like Kenley's still around for a couple of days after, but he's certainly laying low. I think you called it, maybe he's dealing with a bit of anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. I had never heard that term. And I was really? like, I was like, anxiety, is that a typo or something? But then I'm like, wait, I've had anxiety every time I drank the alcohol. Every, <laughs> That's why I don't Literally drink. every time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so how, I get anxiety, anxiety often. Okay. So and what is it's hang- for yeah. those of you who are wondering what anxiety is, it's the it's the anxiety you experience after a night of drinking. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, maybe you blacked out and you're like, oh, my God, what stupid thing did I say or do or like alcohol is a depressant. So this is not not surprising. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. It's, that's what it sounds like to me. Anxiety. Yeah, I can't believe you've never heard that. I've never heard of it, but it's so good. It's kind of like the the mental aspect of a hangover. Because like a yes. hangover is generally, I think of it as physical. But no, yeah. there is this kind of emotional and mental aspect where you're just like, Absolutely. Oh, I'm worthless. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm go- and I'm going to be worthless all day. Forever. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I could see, I, I could, it makes a bit of sense when I think of, the events that lead up to Kenley's disappearance, I I firmly believe, and I'll explain further, that this party has a big part to play in it. Um, but even actually, just to back up slightly, even before the party, some people um, had described Kenley as being seeming to not be himself. I, there, there was one person who ran into him at like a gas station, I think the day before the party, and was like, he was just kind of seemed a little weird. He was kind of on the wrong side of town aimlessly. You know, there was no obvious reason he was over here and he just seemed a little like withdrawn. But I guess when, if you think of someone, you know, someone goes missing and you start asking the people who, who saw them, everyone's going to have something to say. And it's kind of a question of how far you read into that. But well, and I noticed, or I, I thought about it today, um, and I missed it in our notes, but the same day, September 17th, that uh, Kenley's friend ran into him at the gas station and he was acting all weird, uh, we find out in this documentary, there's there's documented proof Kenley was admitted into the hospital on September 17th. Mm-hmm. So, I wonder if this was before or after this little meeting with his friend. And I'm I'm pretty sure he was admitted for like mental health issues or depression and whatever else. Mm, so he, yeah, and that, and that kind of so, le- 
he he had something going on, right? Like there was Definitely. something there was something going on in he's in a new place at school, which he didn't seem to be completely excited about. He had been traveling the world for the last year or two. Acadia, Wolfville would be so boring after living the life Kenley had lived for the last year or two. Um, yeah, exactly. He goes to the massive party in the tower. He gets hammered. Um, the next day he is laying low. Um no one sees him, I don't believe, the, the, the day after the party, which is the sun, uh, Saturday the, the 19th. There's no sightings of him. The next day, which is Sunday, two days after the party, he uh, goes to a bank machine and he withdraws $20 out of his, I think he had over 4000 So he had some money in there, took out $20, sees his sister, like he, he's alive and well. People see him. I don't know if well his, would be appropriate, but he did. His sister comes to his dorm room at about 4 p.m. Okay. Because she, she wasn't at the party. She was in Halifax. So mm -hmm. she hadn't seen him all weekend. So she went to his dorm and was like, I heard about Friday. Oh, man, that's an yeah. awful feeling. Hey, when it's and, all... that's, and she said when, he, when she walked in, he was laying on his bed like. Just like, oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing like still in that anxiety kind of state. But. They, um, in I the, know that it takes me five business days to recover. Oh, really? So, okay. yeah, I'm about two, but in, and that's okay. why I don't drink. And I, because I only, if I have a half a beer, I'm like, or you know, half a drink tomorrow is a, a write off. I'm just, I'm worthless. I'm getting chips in a movie. Yeah. Well, and I get life threatening hangovers. So, oh, life threatening. Yeah. Are you being dramatic? I'm not. No. Ask okay. anyone that knows me. You're just like, you, you just manage to survive each time. Like I'm talking, like I I have thrown up for eight hours before. Oh, wow. I think um, that's called alcohol poisoning. Okay. Yeah. Well, you you have a good time though. So this is also good. why I don't drink often. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, let's get into it. So Kenley sees his sister. Uh, she's checking in on him because she heard that he was you know living it up and maybe wasn't doing great afterwards. They have plans to meet later in the week to study together because they're taking just, some of the same just the next night oh is it okay so it's yeah the following night monday night is when they're planning to meet yeah um there's only two more sightings of kenley that are notable one is around 9 p.m this night the day prior to his disappearance um why don't you tell us about the ra which seems to be like his name is Todd. I guess the RA is like the guy on campus whose job it is, is to kind of like make sure everyone's okay and be the mediator or the intermediary between like the people living there and like the administrators of the building or something. They, they call it an RA, which I think stands for resident assistant. Okay. It's called something else now though. It's, it's uh resident something, but okay. anyway, I'm sure it differs from school to school. Yeah. But um, yes, this Todd comes to Kenley's dorm room at about 9 p.m. Uh, he has a document or something he wanted him to sign. It's, yeah, it seemed like some version, maybe not a lease, that might not be the right word, but it seemed like some kind of like agreement about living there that everyone needed to sign. Like, yeah, okay. I don't know exactly what it was, but it could have been a consent thing or, you know, some kind of form right. paperwork crap that he had to sign. So, yeah, so he goes and it said that Kenley opens the door, but like, just a little bit to like look out mm -hmm. and whatever he like talks to him for a few seconds signs the paper or whatever he needs to do maybe he just takes it i don't know and then todd for whatever reason got the impression that kenley was ironing 
And I mean, I'm not sure if that's a huge, like, smoking gun clue. No. Uh, um, it, it, yeah, when it's the second, pretty much the second last uh, sighting of him, people are, well, you know, what was he doing? But the They're fact overanalyzing. That, yeah, but someone yeah. ironing. I have a friend who, from high school to present day, um, he irons every single shirt. He could have a T-shirt oh, that's like, you know... Um, 25 years old of some like rock band that the half the members are dead now he would he would iron that before you know before he wears it and uh, you know that it's just the way he is i don't and some people are like that yeah and i certainly i don't know how to use an iron i know there's one in my house somewhere my wife would know i don't even know where it is i'll wear it wrinkly (laughs) yeah that's me if if something's wrinkly i just pop in the dryer for a minute and that usually does the trick i put it on the back of the bathroom door and take a hot shower oh (laughs) you steam it you just yeah. you, you need to simplify it. Um, Kenley's mother has said he took good care of his clothes and him yeah. and he wanted to look good. Ironing wouldn't be unusual for him. So I think when you think of this sighting, when the RA Todd goes to the door to get Kenley to sign this paper, I think the only thing notable about it is that Kenley wasn't opening the door like, come on in and sit down, Todd. I think he was just a little like, you know, I'm just going to get this done. I'll open the door, sign it, get out of here. You know, well, uh, it doesn't sound like Kenley would be that kind of person anyway, especially on a Sunday night. Yeah. Be like, hey, come on in. Come on in and have Sit a... Sit down. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the next day, which is the the um, the 21st of September, is the last time Kenley is seen. The final sighting of him is a bit of a mystery. Kenley, he's walking on the main street of Wolfville, I believe in the direction pointing away from the university. He sees his good friend, Tom, who was one of the people that he went to the Corkum's Island with just days prior. They, and I say good friend, they had only met at university, but they became quick friends. Uh, my memory of that day and of the last time I saw Kenley was that I saw him from here across the other side of the street. Um, because of the distance, I gave him a wave only, so I didn't have a, uh, a personal catch up, you know, one to one. Um, he was wearing his trademark baseball cap and just sort of casual clothes. He, uh, he didn't look anything, any way out of the ordinary, like he was in a hurry or uh, I can't remember if he had a backpack or anything, but he certainly didn't look like he was particularly going anywhere. just seemed, as I recall it now, to be strolling towards town on a normal Monday. And that is the last time Kenley's seen. He and hasn't been found. His backpack hasn't been found. His bank nothing. account hasn't been touched literally no trace of Kenley. And I would dare say not even a single clue. I haven't seen one thing that makes me go, ooh, that may change. Or I should say, I haven't seen one thing that happens after his disappearance that makes me say, ooh, like this may explain what happened to him. I think when you talk about people vanishing or walking off the face of the earth, that's what happened to Kenley. I I don't think there is one like rock solid lead. Everything is hearsay, speculation, there we are no closer to finding him than we were on september 21st 1992 Um, there is no shortage of discussion and theories and finger pointing andrew paul johnson is one we like we we brought him up earlier he's alleged to have been on that island uh which would put him in the same area as kenley about a week before his disappearance but that that 
is far from enough to sway me in any way yeah. that he's involved, as well as it doesn't necessarily, if you know Andrew Paul Johnson's story, what he's accused of is um, tricking people into his car and allegedly doing harm to them. He was arrested in Nanaimo, BC, when he was kind of on the run from Nova Scotia, he was arrested in Nanaimo, BC with what I would describe as a rape kit. It was like, you know, like duct tape and a knife and a mask and I think plastic bags and stuff were in the trunk of his car. And he had a intellectually disabled woman that was in the back seat of his car that I believe was reported missing earlier in the day. And he was, um, and she was under the belief that he was a cop. He also had a fake badge. Oh my God. So dark stuff. And like I said, he's connected to a lot of Nova Scotian unsolved cases. His name comes up a lot, but I, without definitive proof that he was in the same area as Kenley or they, you know, had any kind of connection. I don't see that as a likely, um, scenario whatsoever. I agree. He sounds like the Bernardo of Nova Scotia, though. Yeah, that's except that's, I guess he didn't kill that we know of. That we know of, yeah. But it's um, people will bring him up a lot, and I think we talked about that documentary. I think um, the documentary may only uh, increase some of that conversation because they they really they spend a whole episode of uh, analyzing the possible connections between Andrew Paul Johnson and Kenley. They have the interview with him, as you said, and it really goes nowhere because no. Andrew Paul Johnson's like, don't know him, never heard of him, don't know anything about him, which is kind of a weird interview. Well, and it's I, apparently the first interview in over 20 years. And like, I've, I mean, I guess we, we didn't see everything. We didn't see the, all the footage they got. But if I got an interview with a dangerous offender for the first time in 20 years, I'd be I'd be making it the interview. <laughs> yeah. And um, that was uh, of the whole documentary. That was certainly uh, a kind of a highlight, although it doesn't really relate to Kenley's case. Just to see I, I've again, I've seen his name, know his story so well to see him sitting there talking was certainly um just an experience that I didn't uh, I didn't expect. I was surprised to see him ta- agreeing to take part in it. 100%. Well, and I told you I had never heard of this man before watching this documentary. And I believe you said, really? He's public enemy number one in Halifax. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Um, one other thing about the documentary and Andrew Paul Johnson is, I don't know if you noticed this guy, but there was several people who appeared in the documentary. One was a guy named Bev Ketty, they described him as a uh, crime writer, I think is how they dis- – he was only in the first like episode or two. Uh, okay. It really shocked me to see him. Bev was uh, a guest on my show quite a few times, um, and he passed away like oh. a year and a half ago. Uh, I did This documentary, they'd been filming it for years. I had no idea. I didn't realize that. Yeah, but I, you, when you yeah. watch it, you can kind of see – get a sense uh, of the passage of time. But, yeah, I was shocked to uh, – to see him but um his uh he wrote a lot about andrew paul johnson and in cases that he was connected to so i think maybe that was a part of the reason that he was involved in uh, oh i bet um but let's settle it once and for all do you see andrew paul johnson as having a connection is there enough info there where you're like "Eh, we gotta look at that no i don't think so they tried to place him at a campground close to corkum corkum's island 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's just it's too circumstantial. Yeah, I feel the same way. There are other theories that come up, and in a lot of the theories in Kenley's case are in most missing persons cases. One of them is that they decided to walk off and lead a new life uh, in the you know somewhere else in the world. Uh, in Kenley's case, there is some possibility and plausibility to that because he was worldly. He wouldn't have been uncomfortable going and planting trees and just finding his way into like kind of like the underground of that world or maybe going back to South America where he had already been and, you know, taking on a new identity or something. There is some discussion and some theory that that could be the case. Um, but that said, he did withdraw money before he disappeared, but it was only $20, leaving 4000 he 4, left his passport. He left his passport and four grand in the bank account. I'm thinking if, if he was going to just walk off, why wouldn't he take his passport? And why wouldn't he at least take more than $20? Right it would only make sense, right? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's it's hard to say because with his lifestyle, that's automatically what police did assume because I don't believe his case or dorm room was ever treated as criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't really do much. They didn't collect evidence. They didn't, you know, take photos and tape it off and all that stuff. They just, they assumed that he left and yeah. didn't want to be found. And that's, that's one thing that makes missing person cases uh, very difficult to solve if they're not very, like, if they're not quickly solved is because there's not like a criminal investigation you know, until, you know, yeah. well later where they're like, okay, something's going on here. Well, uh, and especially so, when there's no signs of foul play. Yeah, exactly. There's no, yeah. But at the, at the same time, it's like police can't, it's not reasonable for someone goes missing for them to just flip out every time and do a full investigation like it's where does that line come and well maybe, and especially an adult he was 20 yeah that's he's a good point. you know whoops yeah and i think for some people may have thought like he had some stuff going on maybe he wasn't excited about being in university i think if, if i was the police officer who got this report i would think he's probably gone home or just like you know went to the neighboring town or something for the weekend and like yeah give it a couple days like i could see why they weren't you know panicking or whatever right away but when days go by and no one sees him and his bank accounts aren't touched you know uh, there's a cause for concern but by the time that it becomes apparent there's more to this than him just walking off people have been in and out of his apartment or his dorm room so any of that you know evidence is contaminated there, uh, there was an ashtray with cigarette butts in his um in his dorm room that was never collected and it would no. be very interesting to know who was in there you know smoking when he was last seen maybe it was him but right it's but just, if it wasn't who was in there yeah it's just like some examples of how your trail can disappear if, if it's not if the police don't really jump on it with an investigation rather than just a kind of wait and see he'll turn up kind of you know, yeah. approach um, well when you're not when you're not worried when you don't think there's any reason to pay pay close attention to something why would you yeah certainly but i think the the walk off and start a new life thing the the reason that that theory i think gets so much discussion in Kenley's and in every other missing persons case that it's brought up in is it's hard to disprove because 
it's just like one of those things. It's like there's no way to like prove he didn't really. You can plead and make a case like I did. He didn't touch his money and you know whatever. But in Kenley's case, if you want to say that's possible that he did walk off to start a new life or whatever, what you can look for and point to as evidence of that is multiple quote unquote sightings of Kenley that people had in the days, weeks, years after his disappearance that seemed quite like quite quite genuine and people quite, who have like right? detailed descriptions. What are, you want to rattle through some of them? I know you you had this. Well, thing. and it's it's the fact that three out of uh, we'll kind of go over four of the sightings. Mm -hmm. um, three of them all happened in Halifax mm -hmm. and under some under, I believe, two of the circumstances, I want to say it's it's information that only Kenley would have known mm -hmm. or or the person they were talking to. So we'll we'll start right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so the first sighting was uh, or a alleged sighting was Kenley's uncle in 1993 was in the Halifax airport and he was walking and there was a young man by the bar with like a backwards baseball cap. They made eye contact and the uncle like kind of was like, oh, was that Kenley and stopped. So he turned around and went back like moments later and the man wasn't there, but there was a full cold beer sitting where the man had been. Okay. So it's like he, he bailed really quick. Right. Mm -hmm. I, that one's kind of weird. Yeah. And, and he kind of, he was concerned enough that he kind of walked around trying to find this guy. Yeah. He, he went outside and was like, he, he vanished. I wasn't gone that long, but but the, yeah, but the idea that Kenley leaves university and is at the airport trying to like flee the country. He's like, oh crap, that's my uncle. I'm out of here. Like that just, it's too much like a movie or something. I can't see that being real. And and it, why would he hang around Halifax? Mm -hmm. And at like, the time, it's people in 92 when this was happening after he disappeared, you know, there was a lot of discussion about it. It's in the news. It, it, it would be very high risk to show up in the largest city in your province, sitting at the airport, having a beer. It just, however, seemed... it was all over the news, but it still was 1992. Yeah, that's true. The next two sightings that we go over aren't reported until months later because they don't know Kenley's missing mm -hmm. until they see his missing persons poster. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so... when I, and I hate to do this, but when I listen to the stories, each one of them you, if you change the background music behind the telling of the sightings, they sound like ghost stories. They do. Yeah. So there, we had the one with the, the airport with the, the cold drink left behind at the table as this figure just disappears. Uh, tell me about when he's seen outside of or alleged to be seen outside the largest bar in Halifax. When And when was that that he was seen in the at the bar? That would have been September of 93. It okay, was like so exactly year. one year after. Mm -hmm. And I especially like this story because I think it's just so, it's so credible. So this man, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. His uh, there, There's this man, his name's James. Um, and he's standing in line at the palace. I didn't realize that was the largest bar in Halifax. It's one of them. Back in okay. 92, it's like it would be the two or of the two or three largest like all night party dance bar kind of places it, it's okay. certainly not where you would go if you wanted to lay low okay so yeah so this james guy is standing in line with his friend 
and he turns around and makes conversation with this other guy in line. They, whatever, start shooting the shit. Um, this man says he's going to Acadia. Uh, James replies with, he's going to school somewhere else. I can't remember. If, I think I it's like in PEI, a neighboring province, I think. Is something like that. Said. Right. It was a neighboring province. And this man said, oh, you might know my cousin. Wendell, I think his name was. And lo and behold, this James was like, oh, yeah, I do know him or whatever. So they they talk for a couple more minutes. This James turns to talk to his other friend. And by the time he turns back around, this man that he was talking to was gone. Mm -hmm. So whatever, I imagine he didn't think much of it. Um, the following weekend, this James goes home and he runs into, lo and behold, Wendell. And he said, hey, I ran into your cousin this weekend. And this guy's like, oh, like, I don't know who that would be. Can you describe him? Or Because he didn't get his name, of course. So he's describing who he saw. And this Wendell can't believe it. He's like, you know, you're describing Kenley. So he goes, do you think you'd be able to recognize a photo of him if I showed you a photo? And he was like, probably. So even back in 1993 and, you know, 25 years later, 24 years later, when this documentary was being filmed, this James is 100% certain he was talking to Kenley. He is like, this is absolutely the man I was talking to. Yeah, it, that's it's bizarre. It's so bizarre that I just can't believe it. I, I just I think that if you're missing for a year and it's been in the news and you miss, you know, you're a missing Acadia student, you're in Halifax at like, you know, one of the two or three largest bars that's going to be full of university students. I, I, I have two thoughts on it. One is like, how would somebody else not have seen him and recognized him from, you know, the news or Acadia or something? Second, right. he hasn't been touching his bank account. So where is he getting like the money to like pay cover and go drinking on a night out in Halifax? And yeah, I don't know. And then, like I said earlier, it sounds like it's a ghost story, for goodness sakes. Like he was there and he just said enough to lead back to who he was. And then he vanished into the night. It seems too strange to be true and, and then he vanished into the night well that's what it sounds like he just turned to mist uh, like and that's why I, when i hear that when i heard that story i'm like wow that's fascinating but i don't necessarily i'm not going to hang my hat on kenley was it's in the, halifax it's the cousin thing it is weird though eh? it's the cousin thing and and then there was one other sighting in halifax when a guy who had met kenley when they were kids mm -hmm had reported months later he said yeah i ran into him months ago i didn't realize he was missing but like i talked to him and he seemed normal so do you um do you believe in ghosts i do yeah i wonder if i wonder if i don't know for whatever reason they saw his spirit well these stories like i said you change the music behind the the discussion to like this creepy moody music and it's like it's exactly sounds like ghost stories but i but i don't believe like i don't see any reason why kenley's ghost would be at a bar in downtown halifax like what i would have wanted to say if i was interviewing or talking to the person who was giving the story about like i saw him at the bar i would be like how much were you drinking that night because i guarantee he wasn't standing in the bar in the lineup to get in like an all-night dance bar dead sober like going in there for supper or something. It's like, uh, how good is your memory? And how, like, what were you drinking? Like, I, I just don't put a lot of 
stock. Were there drugs involved? <laughs> yeah, just like, come on. Um, it, it was just, the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. But then, you know, you do hear of people leaving and starting a new life. And in the 90s, it would have been a lot easier. Yeah, it, no, it's but true. Without, why, would you, why would you stay in Halifax? Without social but. media and all this stuff, it's you. it would be easier to walk away. Um, but why would he not take his money? That's that's what I don't get. Right. Why would you make it that hard on yourself? Because uh, you could take cash that isn't, it's not like you're using a credit card that's going to leave a trail. Yeah. He could just go to that bank machine before he walks off and take, you know, $800. Why 20 Yeah. I you don't know. know. Just, why and, and why not take your passport just in case, if you're going to take a backpack to walk away from life with, taking your passport and more of your money it seems like it'd just be kind of making life possibly easier for you. Well, and you never know. Like, you know, he suffered a few mental health problems. What if he just kind of had a mental break and mm -hmm. was like, you know, things like that happen. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. I mean, I've, of course, I don't know. Just speculation. Yeah. Yeah. But that would explain why he kind of hung around in, in the area. And then, but then again, it's been 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, okay. yeah. So we went through a, a few possible theories uh, that are discussed. I don't think either of you, either of us are too sold on either, but one we should get into, and this is another one that gets attached to many and most missing persons cases, is that the missing person decided to walk away in their, and end their own life voluntarily um, by suicide. In, in Kenley's story, there's no question that he had some stuff going on within him leading up to this. There was some change in his life because he moved from home to go to school, which is a bit of a commitment, which can be stressful in a small town, which could suck possibly. Um, and then when you add into that, that he's fairly new there in a couple days earlier, he did something that at least according to some people who were at this party may, it may have made him unhappy and uncomfortable in his own body or in this place. Do you think the theory that he died by suicide is one worth considering? We'd be fools not to consider it. Um, um, it, all, it all points to logically, if we want to just look at things logically, that's probably what happened, but nothing was ever found. Mm -hmm. So how, we don't know. It sounds like he was very familiar with Nova Scotia though. And there that's a lot there's a lot of land there. A lot of oh, forest. Yeah. If he wanted to hide himself, I'm sure he could have. Yeah. And we talked the idea of uh or or that he had a history with traveling on his own. He had a history with working in the woods. He had a backpack with him. He it wouldn't have been difficult for Kenley to find his way far away from Acadia University by foot. That wouldn't be something uh it wouldn't be hard for him. Um but when, when I think of the possibility that suicide is a factor, what really makes me believe that it's likely, um, in Kenley's case specifically, is the story that one of his friends told in the documentary where it was the guy he went to South America with. And he described this night where they were on this ferry or on this boat. They were all drinking and like playing cards and stuff. And then later in the, like kind of in the middle of the night, uh, the buddy that Kenley was traveling with, his buddy, realized Kenley. There's a ferry from 
I think the little town is La Paz, and over to the mainland Mexican city of Mazatlan, which is a big city. And as an overnight ferry, it's a pretty good distance. And uh, so it's big open water, it's the Pacific Ocean. We were playing cards and there was an Australian guy and he had this bottle of mezcal, it was a round bottle with the worm in it. And uh, we weren't particularly cautious in our consumption of it. And uh, I didn't think too much of the fact that um, Kenley wasn't there with us anymore. He's apt to do his own thing. And, and, but um, I did go looking for him and found him up on the top deck. It was a big, big uh, boat. There were a few hundred people on it, many levels and rooms. And uh, he was on the top deck on the other side of the barricade where the lifeboats are with nothing between him and the, and the ocean. He was looking pretty comfortable out there. He wasn't, um, certainly not worried about his situation because he must have, you know, consciously climbed over that, that barricade and, uh, and, and wanted to be close to death. I immediately said, you should be on this side of the railing. It's not safe out there. And he, he complied. And uh, I, don't have a, I don't have a clear recollection of exactly what happened after that. The next day, I, I did bring it up to him. I mentioned uh, how close he'd come to disappearing off the face of the earth. And uh, he was, uh, he, he said he had no memory of it. When I think of that, I think alcohol's involved. Uh, much like prior to Kenley's disappearance, there's a bit of alcohol happening there. I, I, I don't know, just something about this. I'm like, this is an important part of the story. And mi like mix that in with his prior mental health issues. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's and dark I mean, and but if, if he depression didn't leave, and suicide yeah. surprises us yeah. how many how many celebrities or even just people you know that you would have never thought yeah. and they're well, um when when something like that happens i think everybody just thinks of their last conversations and the last time they saw them and you know read so into it and i find with kenley that's kind of what's happening all this um, attention is given to all these little uh, breadcrumbs that are left behind and you know maybe some of them will lead somewhere maybe not but if Kenley decided to walk off to never be found again I think he could do it and he wouldn't need more than so $20 too. in a backpack that's true um, but you'd, you'd think something would be found something mm, anything exactly but there was not a, a note the only notes that were left behind, actually what we didn't really hit on is is how he was actually reported missing. Although I guess it's probably assumed um, at what could happen, but he didn't show up for classes. Um, his sister was the one who went to check on him at his dorm room and found his dorm room empty. What was left instead was um, 
I think I believe people were leaving notes on his door, like you know, where are you, sort of thing. I think they said like, call your mom, call your sister. Yeah, because people were like, when he didn't show up for classes, wasn't heard from. People were checking in and couldn't find him. But again, aside from that sighting of seeing him walking down the main street in Wolfville, that was you know that, that was. That was it. But that's no, it. that's all. Like, I guess ultimately, no suicide note, no obvious reason to look in that direction other than it being a possibility. Yeah. Foul play comes up a lot. Kenley was alleged to have had some, I don't know if I would use the word struggles, but maybe some like mystery around his sexuality is how I would put it. A question around his sexuality. Um, it's looked on by some that he may have had relationships that others didn't know about. And maybe he found himself in harm as a result of that, though, whatever was happening in, you know, this lifestyle that his friends and family maybe didn't know about. But again, I have never seen any evidence to support that. And it seems to be just the um, kind of fodder for, uh, theorists who were trying to question what it could have been if if that was the case and he was struggling you know with sexual or with his sexuality or whatever the case it would make the suicide or runaway theory even more plausible Mm -hmm. because lbgtq youth are i should know the exact number but i think it's like 30 or 35 percent more likely to to commit suicide and i'm sure it was higher back then Mm-hmm. You, so yeah, i bet um in 92 if you ever yeah. go back and you watch some of those movies like popular movies from the 90s especially with like anti-gay transphobic like that kind of stuff was in like the big popular movies not too long ago i watched uh bill and ted's excellent adventure do you, do you know that movie i've I've never seen it. Okay. Well, you're not missing anything. Okay. Uh, perfect. It doesn't, it didn't age well for a variety of reasons, uh, aesthetically as well as culturally, because it was, I rem- it was like one of the biggest movies at the time. And oh. one of the characters, like whenever, in one of the main characters, whenever they, tr- and other guys like get close to him, there was one scene I remember, I think his friend like gave him a hug or tried to kiss him on the cheek or something. And he like pushed him away and called him like a derogatory term for you know like a a gay person or something i was just like whoa like this was a big movie and like a hollywood picture in 92 which you know if if a kid watched that movie today it's like from like this bygone era but for me i remember like seeing it in the theater uh i guess it made me feel old (laughs) (laughs) but but also just shocked at how the conversation has changed um oh yeah Anyway, now we have to address, I'm going to call this the elephant in the Kenley Matheson disappearance. Uh, There is one theory that for anyone who watched the documentary about Kenley's disappearance or anyone who reads any articles going forward about Kenley's disappearance, the Kenny family is going to come up. Um, The documentary spends kind of the last, I don't know, 25% of itself examining the possibility it's like the last full two episodes yeah of a, like a five-part series of a five-part uh, series yeah they really zone in on this family called the kennys as being involved and if i was to say if i was just to put it as simply as possible basically there's this family of people who half of them seem to have turned on the other half but they all seem to believe that 
one of the members of the family's son who or was a son now is living as a woman um uh, they believe that she is the person responsible and it all stems back to this statement that uh, she lives as she now so i'm going to call i'm going to refer to her as she uh she made a statement long ago when someone said i think her mother said like oh have you heard about this missing boy in acadia and the daughter named aaron said yeah the he did something he shouldn't have and we took care of him they'll never see him again he's in a bear cave in you know some mountain somewhere so this kind of crazy statement but the documentary then goes to show that everything this person says is crazy out of this world statements that you know that even their their sexuality involves the story of like aliens coming and killing the male version of themselves and now they're like this female version that is involves aliens and it's just all over the place so if i was to summarize the kenny family theory it is that this really unique uh strange person made a statement and a lot of people in their family do think that they're involved uh it was they went to acadia at the time so maybe they would have right. an ability to be in the ballpark but they traveled around on a bike i don't think they took kenley on their bike and brought him up to a bear cave or something uh, well and then so after the first half of the family came out and like went as far as to call crime crime stoppers and everything then the younger sister oh, so piled in i should and say was as like, well I, yes I, I just want to interrupt because they a member of the family called crime stoppers to say that we think it was like our niece or um, our niece i think nephew at the time crime stoppers didn't take it seriously and no all but ignored it so they instead did they not contact the people well, making the film so kenley's family hired a private investigator yes and the the private investigator somehow got this tip from crime stoppers or something no, no, they, like that the kenny family emailed like contacted him directly and said is like, that what it is that's okay. what that's what it was because he probably was in the news at the time when this documentary was being made it would have been public that he was involved and he his name is tom martin he was also a guest on my show before uh, cool. last, last month but he's a highly respected a private investigator he's a former homicide detective with the halifax police so um there was news articles going around when this documentary was being made that kenley's story is being examined in a documentary okay so this kenny family could very well have seen those articles and been like oh, crime stoppers doesn't care i'm gonna write you know this person that's investigating it no i don't believe like if it came out that this person was involved i would be more shocked than i would if it came out that kenley was actually at the dance bar in halifax a year after his disappearance that's how that's how i will put it <laughs> that I, is how sure you are <laughs> that's how sure i am i think the balance of all the different options and possibilities i think um i think the only person who knows what happened i think the reason this hasn't been solved is because the only person who knows what happened is kenley and he's not here to tell the story of you know where he went or what happened to him that's that's my theory and it's and it's heartbreaking because he left behind a family who is torn apart and left you know dedicating their lives to the search that up until now the only place i'm sure that it has gone to is 
you know, hope, despair, hope, despair, hope, despair. And, you know, every little tip or clue, you know, yeah, it's going to bring hope. And whether or not they they find him or something like that, it's like a lie. 30 years I, is a long time. Absolutely. It, 30 years is a long time. Of course, it's possible. And I can understand why the family would hold up with that possibility. But I think, um, yeah, I think I, I don't expect this to be solved. If it wasn't solved in the first few years, I don't it's, it's only going to get harder. Well, and it's, it was it was very heartbreaking at the very, very end of the documentary. Kenley's mother, who's now well into her, what, probably 70s, mm -hmm. she, 30 years later, like, went out to the mountainside where the, a tip was reported. And she's, like, looking under rocks and stuff. Uh, and yeah. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, that was horrible. Um, if anyone knows, there is a substantial amount of money on the table with through the reward there's um a lot of publicity for his story more so in the last three two or three years than there has ever been as far as i can tell um mainly as a result of the documentary that's available on amazon prime even when you search kenley's name now what you're finding is just article after article indirectly in some way about you know the documentary and you know i guess that's the power of the documentary um, of, a, of a major documentary coming out is it just boosts the profile of a story and gives a whole bunch of new new details, allows people to see and hear from the people involved. Um, Kenley's story has certainly benefited from that uh, that documentary, but I think ultimately at the af having watched it um, and having read everything I could about his case, I still feel... Like I wouldn't know any more. I don't know any more now than I would have if I had been on Acadia campus back in September of '92. It's just it's so hard to hard to say. Um, well, let's start wrapping this up, Maddie. You released a new video. You released a new video just yesterday that you talked about, or two days ago that you talked about uh, last time you're on the show. The the covering the Shell Lake massacre. Shell Lake, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? What are you working on? What are you doing? I am going to, I've decided I'm going to release a video on Kenley. Okay. Probably, I'll probably shoot for Tuesday. And then after that, because I just found out about Andrew Paul Johnson, I'm going to talk about him coming up. So oh, you'll do an episode, that's... like a video or an episode about his story specifically? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm interested. I know very little right now, so I'm excited to kind of dig a little deeper okay. that that one is is very very dark um, yeah yeah i and i can i can send you some stuff about that because when i did my episode a couple years ago about the disappearance of kim mcandrew he um andrew paul johnson she she got off work at canadian tire walked out of the building was never seen again coincidentally andrew paul johnson lived in the building next to canadian tire in his the bedroom when his bedroom window like you look out his window, you would see the door to Canadian Tire. So he was, you know, unlike Kenley's story, he was right there when this happened. And there's other Ugh. connections to other missing and murdered women, like, you know, that same summer, basically. Um, well, they don't put just anyone on the dangerous offenders list. Yeah, certainly. So, you got to, like, quote unquote, earn that for sure. Yeah. You got to be a real special kind of asshole to yeah. end up on that <laughs> list. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. All right. Well, Maddie, I appreciate you having I appreciate having you here tonight. I appreciate you breaking down the Kenley Matheson story. Thank you for having me. I love I love doing these. 
Well, let's do another one next Thursday. I'll be here. I want to thank you for joining Maddie and I for our discussion surrounding the disappearance of Kenley Matheson. For those who'd like to learn more about Kenley's disappearance, I've added a link to the documentary we'd referenced in this episode's description. It's definitely an interesting watch. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Nighttime, but before we part here, I have some thanks. First, a big thanks to Maddie for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. Shout out to Monty Data, who contributes the music to this series, and to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers. But lastly, and most importantly, I have a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, the show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please consider listening on the premium feed. And not only does the premium feed fund the creation of the show, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find on the free feed as I'm adding exclusive content regularly and maintain a full back catalog of episodes only on the premium feed. So for about the price of a cup of coffee, you can go premium at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. I'd also like to thank the newest subscribers, Larissa, Tyler, and Jerry. Thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it with a premium feed subscription, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If there's a Canadian missing person case you'd like to hear featured on the show, please let me know at nighttimepodcast at gmail.com. If there's a Canadian missing persons case you'd like to see featured on this show, go to my website, nighttimepodcast.com, and send me a message through the contact portal. Also, I prioritize cases submitted by friends, family, and advocates, so be sure to fill me in if you have any connection to the case. To anyone listening who'd like to contribute a voice memo or story idea or just general feedback on the show, you can contact me there as well. I hope to hear from you all, but until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.